ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. And uh, you guessed it, it's just me this week, just Kevin. Uh, Jared and Joe both had some prior obligations. Off-season is just, just absolutely brutal for schedules and, frankly, the lack of news. But uh, going to be a two-segment show just to keep it short, just because it's me. Um, but some big news did drop on Friday. Uh, it is a quote-unquote strategic joint advisory group between the Big Ten and the SEC Conference. Uh, this is not to be confused with the Alliance, which was um, the Power Four conferences, with excluding the Big 12. So that would be the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, and the Pac-12. Obviously, the Big Ten kind of ruined the Alliance when they poached the four major teams from the Pac-12 and brought them into the conference. So the Alliance kind of fell apart, and now we're into the age of this joint advisory group. The question is, though, what what does that mean for college football? What does that mean for the NCAA? What does that mean for all depending litigation against the NCAA? Um, NCAA versus our house versus the NCAA is one of the main ones that's going on currently. Um, it hasn't really been in the news, not in the forefront, at least. And the Big Ten, the SEC are among the defendants that the uh, house is going after. Um, if you're not familiar with that lawsuit, the House versus the NCAA is potentially looking into whether or not the NCAA violated antitrust laws by not permitting uh, name, image, and likeness payments to athletes based off of their name, image, and likeness um, prior to NIL becoming, you know, quite frankly, the forefront of college sports at this point in time. Um it sounds like that's probably going to go to trial in January 25. Um, the more likely outcome is a settlement outside of court, maybe this spring, so maybe the April to May time frame. Not, not sure how that's all going to shake out, but if if this goes to trial, the NCAA is found liable. I mean, we're talking a multi-billion dollar settlement against athletes from who who knows how how long ago. Um We'll, we'll see what the settlement comes out to be. Um, but this is this is why the Big Ten and the SEC are getting together. The NCAA hasn't done anything right, it seems, what, 15, 20 years. I mean, it's just been a lot of, I mean, they got rid of the, the video game, which everyone loved, because the players weren't getting NIL off of it. So they're like, well, we have this cash cow, and instead of paying you, we're just going to take it away. And that caused some problems with fans. And then they had the BCS. And the BCS worked because it was pitting the two best teams against each other. However, it was only two. There wasn't a playoff. So they're like, well, let's go to four. They go to four. And what does that do when you have five power conferences and you've won an at-large bid? You leave people out. And then you have the fiasco that happened this year where Alabama gets in late. And then Texas has to get in late. And then Florida State, who probably shouldn't have been in anyways, gets left out. Georgia gets left out because they lost Alabama in the national championship game. So the NCAA is just Jared, Jared and I firm stance against the NCAA Joe's out on them as well. So we're, we're I, I don't want to speak for them, but I, I'm at least happy that this is happening, that there is some sort of an alliance or a strategic department joint advisory group. Will it dramatically change college football? I'm, 
I'm not so sure. Um, we'll see. We'll see how this shakes out. I mean, if anything, at least like a new board, a new panel, a new advisory committee, something that looks at how the NCAA governs college football. Um, hopefully, I would say the bare minimum that comes out of this is you go to the Chip Kelly model and a lot of the national media is clamoring for it. And Chip Kelly is probably the most outspoken on the coaching side for it is why are, why are softball teams traveling from Arizona all the way or not Arizona, but from Southern California all the way across to Michigan and Ohio state and Penn state to play conference games. They're not, why are they going to Indiana and Illinois and all of these other places that that don't make sense usc is not going to play arizona in college softball that's their biggest rival arizona is a powerhouse program on that side um and they'll never play each other again so at least not in conference play so like that doesn't make sense and i don't know stanford rowing are they in i don't know if rowing's in the pac 12 but like that's not a cross-country thing and water polo is not an ncaa sport but like you're not shipping that across the country to do that either so football and even basketball doesn't really make sense there's what 330 some division one programs like those conferences need to be regionalized you have the loyal chicago chicago's the small mid-major schools where yeah they have a little bit of budget because you know they have a decent ticket revenue and maybe some small TV deals and they're a big enough program where they're getting a couple, a couple tune-up games for college basketball. But like, it's not enough to sustain cross country travel and the power five. Is it enough to sustain cross country travel? Yeah, probably so. But it's college sports aren't about the top 40 teams. I mean, we care a lot about the top 40 teams, but there are a lot of people in the country who, didn't go to a top 40 school or root for schools that aren't in the top 40. Like how often do you see people? I mean, it's regional depends on where you are, but like you just see the person repping merch or going to the Jared goes to them all the time, but he works them. But like how many people show up to St. Francis football games in central PA or go to the U of R games, like down the road for me and go to VCU basketball and all those other things. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. And I, I think at the least thing that we want to come from this joint advisory group is those sports that I just rambled on for two minutes about those sports need to go back to the regional conference model. They, they, you don't need, you don't need them to change because football has become this multi-billion dollar cash cow. And it's very much the haves and the half nots. It's not saying that ODU can't come, into a top tier. I mean, they go to Virginia Tech every year and beat them, but it's not saying that those schools don't have a chance against the big schools. It's that there's a clear 6, 10, 12 programs every year that have it. And there's another 15 to 20 that it's like, okay, they got a chance as well not to win the national title, but they're, they can at least make the games competitive. And that's where the college football model needs to get to. There needs to be probably a 50-team conference there's two conferences. Maybe there's a 25 and a 25 and there's just this big schedule rotation. There's relegation. There's all these things that bring a competitive balance to the sport. It separates the high earners out and those guys can make however much money they want. 
They're still supporting the schools. We're in a 12-team playoff. Maybe we get to 16. I think I, I even think 12 is a little bit diluted, but maybe we get to 16, and we see where we go from there. So we'll see where this strategic partnership goes. I, I think a power two is where we're going to get to now that Texas and Oklahoma aren't in the Big 12. They're in the SEC. There's not a lot of Big 12 programs left to have meet. ACC has nothing besides Florida State, and Florida State's suing their conference trying to get out or going to try to get out. However, may, however much money it takes, they're going to be they're going to be leaving the ACC as long as it's not two hundred million dollars. You know, I mean, just some random high number. But it's it's getting to a point where it is going to be the Big Ten and it is going to be the SEC, and that's that's all the D one hype in national championship is going to be it's going to be a battle between those two conferences and quite frankly that's what you've seen i mean baylor had one year tcu had a year where they're getting into the playoff michigan state made it to the playoff but excuse me those are lower end schools but not many teams the acc are making it not many teams from the pac-12 are making it except you had washington and oregon making it a couple times like the if you've ever seen the map of like the last like 10 college football champions they were all in like one circle and it's just south carolina georgia alabama florida now michigan like ohio state had one in there like it's a very small club and they need to define the club because the way college football is structured now it's it's just not sustainable it's one-year transfers and the court shut down the NCAA, shutting down the more than one transfer rule because you could only transfer one time unless you graduate. Then you got your your graduate transfer. But now you can transfer every year. And I'm not saying kids shouldn't have the flexibility, but they commit to a coach, they commit to a program, and then all of a sudden the grass is greener. They got a booster calling them from Florida. It's like $15 million. We'll get you in here just like they did trying to recruit high school guys. And they're just poaching rosters. Look at, look at Air. Look at Washington. I think they have like two returning starters next year, because Kalen DeBoer leaves to Alabama. He takes he takes a couple guys to Alabama with him, a couple guys to the NFL, and then they just get poached everywhere because their roster opened up. And then you look at Arizona. Arizona ultimately kept Noah Fita, which was probably paramount in there and keeping some continuity there, but their roster opened up for 30 days. Alabama's roster opened up for 30 days and 20 guys transfer out. It's that's, that's when transferring makes sense. It's, it's the guys who are leaving Georgia after a year because they wanted to go win a national title and all this other thing. It's a lot of personal glory and you know, it's kind of the day and age we live in and I'm not against personal accolades, but commit to something. Working in the professional world, if you're listening to this, you're probably in the professional world. Like, instead of jumping everything, like, stick it out for another year or two. And sure, you only get one year in college, but make the decision on the front end and don't do it one time. Like, make a mistake. That's fine. A okay. Go to school. Nah, this, this isn't for me. I'm going to transfer. But make that second decision count. You get, you get that chance to change. Like, you start jumping stuff every time. Being an employer, having interviewed people, like when you read a resume and it's like six months there, a year there, a year there, a year there, there's just jumping. It's like, 
quite frankly, do you want to put that much time and effort into somebody who you don't think is going to go? So it builds a skill. There is something to be said about stability. There's something to be said about commitment. And the NCAA has lost that. So does the Big Ten SEC Joint Advisory Group bring in a structure for transfers? Go back to the one thing. But there's compensation involved, right? Because they can make the rules. Like every person on the roster gets minimum 50 grand. I don't know what it is, but 50 seems a little high for a 100-man roster. But let's say it's 50 grand. Everybody gets 50 grand and you can transfer one time. Then you're not violating. You're potentially not. I'm not a lawyer, not a lawyer but then you're potentially not violating antitrust. Everyone's compensated. I, I don't know if the players union comes out of that. That would be. That would really be interesting to see a full-on players union in college sports. That's probably something that is definitely a possibility, but maybe that's something the joint advisory group is able to not have happen. I, I, I don't know where I would stand on that. I'd have to see what it looks like. But revenue sharing certainly sounds like a good idea because are these schools making a lot of money? Yes. Are some of these schools barely floating by? Also, yes. Are they making a lot of money on kids who are getting I want to say, quote unquote, just a college education. Also, yes. But there's also a lot of money for boosters and local businesses. Like the money's there and these kids aren't getting as much of it as they should. And it's probably four or five guys at a roster that are really moving the needle. I mean, do you know what, I don't know, the Michigan State's left guard's name is? I haven't got a clue. I couldn't even tell you who their quarterback should those guys be making five, ten, fifteen million dollars a year? Maybe not. Starting quarterback at Ohio State, you're gonna know who that is. Carson back down at Georgia, you're gonna know who it is. And those are the guys who kind of like in the NFL, backup left guards make nothing. They make probably close to veteran minimum. But the starting quarterback or hell, a backup quarterback in Chase Daniels making ten or twelve million dollars a year when he was in the league. So um that did come down, kind of rambled on here a bit, 14 minutes in, but kind of the things that are, we're potentially looking at with the joint advisory group, but that got dropped on a Friday right before Super Bowl week kicked off, and there's a whole bunch of other things are going on. So I'm sure more will come out after Super Bowl week, how that's going to look, um, how this joint advisory group is going to evolve, um, but that'll be probably for later in the later in the offseason as more of that comes out. But for now, we're going to head to a break, and we're going to come back for the second and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nippy Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the Lashing Out podcast on the Sports Now Network. I'm Kevin Quigley, and I'm writing solo this week. So, um, talked about the Big Ten SEC line, uh, joint advisory group in the first segment. But we haven't talked much about Penn State basketball this year. Um, but they've won their last two on the road at Rutgers, on the road at Indiana. Went two two games on the road. Rutgers is a difficult environment to play in. Maybe not so in football, but in basketball, very difficult environment to play in. And then Penn State had won in Indiana since 2014. They go, excuse me, they were down 11 points in the first half and stormed back to win on the road by 14 points at Indiana is Indiana, the basketball powerhouse that they were when Bill Knight was there. Absolutely not. 
but it is still a quad two win for Penn State. It's their first of the year. They had won versus Wisconsin earlier in the season. They lost that clunker to Ohio State, lost late to Minnesota because of injuries in the game. So get that momentum win against the against Wisconsin at home. You drop two games that you probably should have won in Ohio State and Minnesota, and then you bounce back. You win your first two road games of the season, and you do against so against Indiana in dominant fashion. Kanye Clary did not play either of those two games. Ace Baldwin really stepped up. Nick Kern stepped up. Um, just they shot. Let's see what they shoot. They shot fifty five percent from three against Indiana, twelve twenty two, and they shot fifty seven percent from the field overall, thirty one of fifty four. Um, only six turnovers. Rebounding, they were only down six in the rebounding. Penn State rebounding has been absolutely atrocious this year. So. Um, seven steals and 17 assists for the Nittany Lions against Indiana. So this team is buying into the Mike Road system. The Mike Road system works when they are actually making shots, um, something they did not do against Ohio State, and they couldn't set up their defense. They set up their defense against Indiana uh, because they were making shots. You make 57% of your shots, you're, you're going to be able to set up your defense. Indiana had a freshman guard in. And Penn State went full court press, put that freshman guard in some really bad spots and forced turnovers. And when Indiana got into half court offense, Penn State's defense was stout. Once they once they figured out how to stop um, Khalil Ware, because Indiana was wearing him out on the inside, um, Penn State kind of figured out how to play defense, how to get them to stop forcing or stop being able to get the ball in into the paint uh i can't remember the margin but the the point differential in the paint uh in the first half was just astronomically in favor of indiana and not that penn state scored a lot of points in the paint in the second half but uh cutis wahab really stepped up against khalil Ware um in that second half mike rose was able to scheme up and scheme up a defense to help prevent the ball from going inside at all and it, th- this team feels like they didn't quite know what was going on in the beginning of the season. Mike Rhodes, the the style of defense that he wants to play, it's it's tenacious. It requires a lot of physical endurance. Um, you've got to have your legs under you in that system, and it's predicated off double teams and switches and communication, and not necessarily verbal communication, but just body communication and awareness of like oh in this system this person's going to cover because this person's going to go to the double i need to rotate over so it's if one guy makes that one step to the right to go cover i need to swing around to the left and go and go grab the person he vacated and that's a system that can't be done with inexperienced people new to the program so now that they're 15 games into the season, excuse me, 20 games into the season, they're starting, the team is starting to understand what Mike Rhodes wants to accomplish, what they need to do in that system to fit in, excuse me, and they win those two road games without Kanye Clary, their leading point scorer. So the biggest two wins of the season, well, the two most recent wins of the season, two of the three biggest wins of the season, um, with Wisconsin being the other one. And 
that this team just feels like they could go on a run is an NCAA tournament bid. Um, in in the cards, I, I I don't think so. I'm not sure about that. Um, Iowa at Northwestern, Michigan State are the next three games. Um, if you can go on the road, if you would beat Iowa and then go on the road to avenge the home loss against Northwestern from a few weeks ago, that was a game that they could have won. They probably should have won. Um, but Bo Bowie was just too much down the stretch and they just didn't make any shots. So you go back and you avenge that road to Northwestern on the loss, avenge the loss to Northwestern on the road. You're looking at a team who goes in the big 10 tournament hot. We're a little over a month away from the end of the regular season. So we're about five, probably five, six weeks away from the big 10 tournament happening. We'll see. I mean, if they get in, they're top top third of the conference right now they're about middle of the pack in terms of record in the conference standing so if they get to top third in the conference win a couple games maybe get to the quarterfinals maybe get to the semis of the big 10 tournament this is a team that if if i'm if i'm a top level basketball program i i don't think i want to play against penn state in the second round of the ncaa tournament because i play a game on friday thursday or friday and then two days later, I gotta go play. De- gotta go play against that defense. Um, Ace Baldwin's shown that he's physically fit. I think he's played forty minutes at least the last two games, maybe the last three games. So, th- this team has endurance. This team has the physical conditioning to be able to play that this style. And they're gonna run into teams who's maybe not physical enough. And maybe that's what happened to Indiana. Maybe, I mean, they were they were without their starting point guard, but. Maybe they weren't up to the bill of uh, their physical conditioning wasn't up to the level of Penn State. That's why Penn State was able to wear on them. So um, exciting stuff coming from the basketball side. We're going to keep track of that as we go. Um, Probably going to be more regular on the show, at least over the next month um, and into the NCAA tournament if they make it there. But just to show that, you know, we are keeping an eye on it. It's not fun to talk about a team that's losing with a new coach, Um, but Gotta be in fair weather fans here. They're starting to get good. Let's start talking about them. So uh last thing I have is something that popped up on social media today. Uh if you're not familiar with him, uh Dylan Riola was a Georgia verbal commit. Um his uncle Donovan Riola went to Nebraska, or excuse me, is an offensive line coach at Nebraska. His dad, Dominic Riola, played football at Nebraska and is a legacy there. Ended up playing in the NFL for a few years. Well, his dad was on a podcast today. I just saw it on Rivals, so I don't know the actual source of the podcast. Um, but his dad was on a, I saw it on a Rivals tweet today. His dad was talking about how Kirk Herbstreet called Mr. Dominic Riola and said, Hey, like your son should go to Nebraska. Like he should do it. And the Georgia fans on Twitter or X, excuse me. Uh, were absolutely melting down on Twitter talking about Kirk Herbstreet just meddling in programs and altering the history of college football. And he shouldn't be considered a journalist or a media member. He's clearly just biased against Georgia. He's pro pack big 10, all this other stuff. It's just, it's, it's honestly hilarious. Um, I think it's kind of funny to watch Georgia fans melt down because, you know, maybe their reign of terror probably won't be as long as Alabama's was as, like they were probably hoping for uh, after Saban left, but 
And I saw a lot of Georgia fans slandering Riola of like being a bust and not being able to make it in Georgia and all this other stuff. And it's like, people, it's their 18 year old kids. Matt Rule is a fantastic college football coach. Not not just a good college football coach, fantastic college football coach. And he wants to build something in Nebraska. And if if you're Riola, your dad played there. He's a legacy. Or your legacy because your dad played there. Your uncle's a coach there. You get a chance to go with first-year head coach Matt Rule, who's an absolute bulldog, and you could potentially build something. It's This isn't Kirk Herbstreit meddling in your program. This is a guy that, from the outside, Kirk Herbstreit played college football at Ohio State. His sons maybe weren't the best athletes, but they walked on at Clemson. Because that's when Dabba was building the program and they were winning national titles and it was like, go be a part of that. Could Ryle have gone to Georgia and been a part of that? Yeah, but that's already built. Herb Street saying, you know, probably looking at it from a dad, from a former college football player, from just someone who's been through this before, just saying like, hey, like Matt Rule's a hell of a football coach, offensive mind. You could go that like your son could go there and and make a difference and be a part of that. And it's not like Herb Street called Dylan. He called his dad. And who's to say his dad wasn't already convincing him to go to Nebraska because he went there. Uh, it's just a non-story, but I, I thought it was funny just re watching all the sour grapes from the Georgia football fans on X today. It was uh just eating popcorn all day long, reading that stuff. So um if, you, if that intrigues you, go look on X. It's, there's some good stuff out there. So uh, that's going to do it for me. 26 minutes is long enough for you guys listening to me. So uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, actually, I will not be back next week. This should be Jared and Joe next week. Uh, my work schedule will not allow a nighttime recording because I will be working. Um, so should be Jared and Joe next week. They should be recapping the Super Bowl at least at a minimum. Um I don't know if I have a pick for a Super Bowl. <sighs> hate to say it. I'm, I'm hating on the Chiefs. Uh, I'd love to see the 49ers get one. I Dynasties aren't fun if they're not your team. So uh, Chiefs aren't my team, and I don't want to see the Dynasty go on. So, um, yeah, that's going to be my official stance on that one. So uh, we will – Jared and Joe, we'll catch you guys next week. And that's been all for me, Kevin Quigley, for the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. 